Welcome to Bonus Features. Some might call it supplemental material, but it's so much more than that. It's the portion of Secret Handshake where we talk to writers, directors, actors, critics, academics, and flat-out film freaks about the movies they love to get a deeper perspective. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining us this week is Brandon Strusnig. You likely know Brandon from his contributions to the site, breaking down misunderstood gems like JCVD's Street Fighter or marveling at forgotten Lee Marvin movies like Dog Day. We brought him on to talk about the man, the myth, the legend, Yuri Boyka. That's right, in this episode, Brandon dives into the Undisputed franchise with us to try and uncover just why it's the most iconic DTV action series of all time. But enough from me, here's Brandon Strusnig on Undisputed and the one and only Scott Adkins. And we're back with another bonus feature edition of Secret Handshake. Martin, this week we're going to be talking about the Undisputed movies and most complete fighter Scott fucking Adkins. And joining us is uh, one of our contributors and also a newly minted Fangoria contributor, Brandon Strusnig, who is, let's say, quite the Adkins file. Is that a real word? Adkins file? Brandon, correct me if I'm wrong. You you spend a lot of time correcting people on the internet. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's embarrassing. But uh, <laughs> uh, I... I don't know if that's a term, but I think that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, Adkins heads. Yeah, that's 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 perfect. You'll have to ask uh, Mike Scott because he's the he's the uh, number one Adkins guy. What what the uh, term is? Yeah, he's he would be the one to actually probably mint it. Um, but l- let me ask both of you first, starting with Martin. What was the first Scott Adkins movie that you watch? Undisputed two. Oh, really? Yep. It was. So I am a fan of the original. Um, and when they made a sequel and I like Michael J. White. And when they did a sequel with him, I said, you know, I'll do I, I even watched the Never Back Down sequels because he was in it. You know, he's the king of coming in and playing, you know, gig, giving a number two to number three. And then I remember watching it and saying this, this Scott Adkins guy is really fucking cool. Um and then he started doing more stuff with Dolph, who we know is my main man. And so that kind of helped me see more Scott Adkins stuff. And now I'm, you know, probably not as much as Brandon. I haven't, I haven't watched everything, but I've watched probably 60% of his movies. Um, but I'm it's always so hard to keep up with them. He's so prolific at this point. So prolific. But I'm always like Avengement recently I loved and I love everything he did in Day of Reckoning. So, yeah. Uh, but it was, it's funny. It was undisputed too. What about you, Brandon? Um, I think it probably, which is weird. Cause I had never seen any of the other ones. I think it was universal soldier day of reckoning because <laughs> I like, I, I right before a couple years before I had like really fallen into like the DTV scene and everything and gotten really into that kind of stuff. I kept hearing a lot of like film people talk about, Oh, this movie's like, way better than you think it would be and kept hearing it can like you know everyone says lynchian about everything but like this was a few years before that became like really annoying and i heard a lot of people call you know saying it was kind of lynchian kind of weird and i was like and i was still kind of like trying to get out of the whole uh pretentious like film guy thing but i so like I, I was, but the, all those words like ticked my boxes a little bit. So I checked it out and I was like completely blown away by it and blown away by him and just kind of fell down that rabbit hole. I remember attending that Fantastic Fest screening and absolutely hating that movie right off the bat. 
Like I just did <laughs> not get it. And I got to see it on the big screen in 3d uh, oh, wow. when they presented it. And it was like, because what, what one of the other writers for BMD at the time, who I think it, even at that point, it was still called badass digest. Uh, they were like really excited because they really liked uh, Ninja two shadow of a tear, uh, which I believe it also played a fantastic fest either the year or two before, and Adkins had started to become sort of like a staple there, especially since like uh, Tom Quinn and and Tim League like really helped out getting like Action Fest off the ground, which is where Undisputed Three premiered, I believe, in like 2010. Um, but like Adkins movies all of a sudden became these weird staples of Fantastic Fest, and people were excited to watch this Universal Soldier <laughs> sequel. And I had the same mindset of I was like what the fuck are we doing here? Like, why, why am I watching a universal soldier sequel at a film fest? And I think my brain just sort of inherently rejected the whole notion of it. But then now I, I go back and it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I'm, I kick myself in the ass a little bit because I'm like, you sat there through this movie and actively hated it. Now you're like a big champion of it along with many, many other people. But I think that was my first one too. Brandon is watching that. That was at least my, my initial kind of recognition of who Adkins was as like a performer, uh, especially with that opening like POV uh, home invasion sequence that he's in where we don't even really see him at first. And that's it's just such brilliant, weird filmmaking. But he's also a strange performer. And I think we're going to get into this as we get into the Undisputed movies is that he's grown as an actor but might still have a ways to go let's say <laughs> um i think that's probably true i think he's i think avengement is probably what where where he showed you know his most range but that's still kind of like like i think he's terrific in that movie but it's still i guess it's kind of like you know nothing too out of the ordinary that you would have seen out of like a guy Ritchie gangster movie in the two thousands. So like he definitely has a ways to go, but I think he's, he's getting there. I just hope that, you know, he's, he's approaching 50. So I hope, you know, he keeps getting opportunities because he's talked a little bit about how he feels like that the well's kind of drying up for him a bit. Yeah. The weird kind of thing about uh, Atkins too, is that you see him show up in these big fucking Hollywood movies and smaller roles. I mean, you see obviously Expendables too, but like up to Dr. Strange and zero dark 30 and he's solid in zero dark 30 in his scene playing the smaller role, but he's got great physical presence. So I think like there's some awkwardness when he speaks, but when he's just like a silent badass in the background, like he, he completely brings it all the time. Well, that's like one of the great mysteries of modern action filmmaking or even genre filmmaking right now, right? Is that, no mainstream filmmaker has really figured out how to use Scott Adkins in a bigger budget movie. Like it's all dudes like Jesse V Johnson, who he makes a bunch of movies with on the reg that know like what he can do on screen and how to properly like use a camera to capture his like physical prowess. But like, you see him in something like when he shows up in Doctor Strange, which is, you know, not a great movie to begin with, but then it just sort of wastes his his talents completely. Also, what was that American is it American Assassin? American yeah. Assassin, yeah. Yeah. That might be the, the most egregious offender because that was an actual action movie that I think he gets like one fight and then kill he gets shot like thirty minutes into the film and, and dies, and you're like 
well, why did you even cast Scott Atkins? Like you could have had any fucking goon play that part. Even Expendables too, like when he fights Statham and gets thrown into like the the back rotor, it's like in the dark. Like you don't show yeah. off what he's actually got, you know. The, um, that's to me, that's the most egregious example because that's just that that's a movie for action heads, and you know, you would think like, oh, people would love to see a Statham Adkins fight, and it's just it's kind of terrible. It's like a pretty weak fight for you know the two of them. I was watching a. Um, an interview last uh, yesterday with Adkins between Adkins and Michael J. White and asking Adkins has his YouTube channel, the art of fighting. Um, and it's super cool. Like he's interviewing like everybody, but his, his conversation with Jai White is super cool. And they're talking a lot about undisputed too. Um, and one of the things they talk about what we're talking about is like a lot of Hollywood filmmakers don't know how to use martial arts stars. They think they can direct themselves. And they're talking about how in, how in Hong Kong you have an action director and an actual dialogue director. And that Adkins, a lot of times when he's doing these bigger movies, he, he kind of feels the same. Like we're kind of getting out of him not being, you know, shown. You don't, you're not showing him in a, a wide shot of like, this guy can do crazy shit as we see in the Boyka films specifically. You know, his physicality and his gymnastic prowess too. What I think the big difference, too, is that a lot of these filmmakers that he's working with on these smaller films, like, let's say, Isaac Florentine with Undisputed 2 and 3, they're so strapped for cash when they're making these things that they have to be really hands-on when they film them. And, like, Florentine being a martial artist himself and stuff is that you really get, like, a down-and-dirty sense of, of them appreciating and capturing uh, Adkins is like pure athleticism because when you watch the camera move, like say in Undisputed 2 in any of the the fight scenes, like it moves with him the same way that like a great Hong Kong movie does or like the John Wick guys when we talked about with Simon uh, a couple weeks back is that they understand that shooting a, a great action sequence is – sort of like shooting like a musical sequence like you're trying to just capture the performer in the frame as much as humanly possible and the fact that florentine's like right there because he has to be both uh, due to the way that he makes movies and the resources that he doesn't have let's say like he's right there with them like making this movie sometimes manning the camera himself and like i feel like that's a big difference between the you know a lot of the times you have second and third unit directors doing a lot of the action sequences with a you know a, a big uh, name director on one of these bigger projects like say a doctor strange like just sitting behind a bank of monitors yeah and i think too that he's been upfront a lot about how he's very hands-on with the action in his smaller movies and he's and, and he feels like he can he has a voice with guys like florentine and johnson where he can come out and say like hey i don't think this works hey this this does work and and i he 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 probably just doesn't have that luxury on those kind of movies and it, it's i would imagine it's frustrating for him because you, you know you're put in these situations where you can probably show off how good you are and maybe potentially get more opportunities. And these, these people, I wonder if some of these people, these filmmakers even know who he is half the time. I, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but I think, I, I think I read somewhere that Catherine Bigelow didn't even know he was British when, when he was on the set for zero dark 30. So I'm, I'm assuming that he's probably not known by a lot of these filmmakers and he's just getting cast, you know, by casting 
uh, directors. And it's just frustrating. It's just such a, the real, like one of the biggest missed votes I think I've seen from Hollywood. Cause he has everything. Like he has a lot more charisma than a lot of the people leading modern action movies. Well, and it helps that he looks like Ben Affleck too. Exactly. That's why he almost got Batman apparently. And that just, it kills me all the time that, that, we, that, that was a world we could have had. Yeah. But to your point, Brandon, with him being hands on, um, there's two things is when I, inter- I interviewed him for Avengement and he I kind of point blank asked him like how hands on he was with the fight choreography and his direct quote to me was I need to be diplomatic here, but I'm just going to be honest. I choreograph my fight scenes and I went, oh. Like just kind of like okay, Um, but the second thing is what you were talking about with him being really hands on is when uh, we talked uh, to our mutual buddy Liam O'Donnell about making the uh, Skyline movies, particularly Beyond Skyline, is that when he had guys like Eco on set with him, like he would just basically be like, yeah, just make this like just do it, do your thing. And I'll follow your lead more or less, and we'll figure out a way to capture it. But like he knew that he had, you know, perhaps outside of Adkins, like the greatest screen martial artists on the set of his his weird like little sci-fi flick. And he was like, well, I'm going to like milk this for everything I got. So it, I think it is the difference between knowing, I guess – as a filmmaker, what tools you have in your box in that moment and maybe not knowing how to use a screwdriver properly. If I'm going to take this stupid metaphor <laughs> to its, its limits, let's say. Yeah. One of the interviews I heard him say too, is that he and Michael Jai White were talking about, yeah, they want to be good actors, you know, in terms of like performance and, and dialogue, but they said, if we fuck up the action, like that's what we're here for. You know, and on these smaller films like that, you're kind of saying they feel the the that they can actually leverage their position on set and say, let's do that again, you know, within reason. Right. And I think we're getting at too on these bigger films. He doesn't have that kind of voice and hopefully will someday, but definitely not now. Hopefully Wick 4 gives him a little bit more of a spotlight than he's been given. I imagine it would because those guys know who he is and knows, know what he can do. And and the fact that they cast him and Marco Zoror in a movie together again, I think, tells you that they there's probably something cool that they're cooking up. I just I hope that it gives them some exposure. Well, I think after watching them more or less allow the raid dudes to throw Keanu through just like every piece of plate glass <laughs> they could find at the end of John Wick three, that they, they seem like the type of dudes too, that are like, well, we have that guy. We're just going to let that guy do what that guy does, you know? So it's like, and also to your point, like the, the wick movies, especially as they go on, they almost feel like the antithesis of a film that you brought up that you were disappointed with Brandon, which is the expendables movies is that the, the wick films as they've gone on have just become almost like this fantasy league casting of, of action all-stars that instead of just having them come in and say a bunch of tough guy stuff and then disappear like the expendables did, they're like, well, no, we're going to have them do like knife fights and shit. (laughs) Yeah. That's the really cool thing is it's really, it's been really nice to see the 87 11 guys kind of get like, basically create a freedom to do whatever, whatever they want. And it's just, it's nice that they're bringing all these people along with them because these people, these are people that like, I know people like us have been, you know, 
championing for years and it's just it's nice that they're finally out there a little bit um because like i i'll never forget seeing force awakens and i recognize the raid guys in it and i was just like oh my god it's the raid guys and then they just like aren't used at all it was like why would you even put them in this movie <laughs> my brother turned to me we saw an opening night and we're both big raid fans he goes oh man here we go this is gonna be nuts and then they just disappear <laughs> that was like it was such a it built us up to break us down, right? It was horrible. <laughs> At least that movie used Donnie Yen somewhat appropriately because he's kind of the best part of that movie. Oh, in, in Rogue One? Yeah, in Rogue One. Wait, yeah. are they not in Rogue One? Which movie are they in? They're, they're, they're in Force Awakens. Yeah, oh, they're in that. Force Wait, this, is, this shows you how those fucking movies just work <laughs> together in my brain. They're in that scene. I don't know if you remember when they – I think it's when they – I don't remember. It, 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 there's a scene with Han Solo where he's like – Trap tracked down by two different groups of people who want money from him, and they're one of the groups. Yeah, it's when they let out that like that space monster to basically eat everybody to get free. Um, yeah, and they just get destroyed. You don't get to see any martial arts or anything. Nope. Yeah, <laughs> I remember them mostly just standing in like the bay, the back bay of a spaceship or something. Like I think yeah, that's the that, shot. That's about all they did. <laughs> yeah, but let's jump into the first undisputed movie, uh, two thousand two. From Walter Hill, which is not like any of the movies that would feature Scott Adkins at all. Like, this is a straight-up, like, prison exploitation movie with Wesley Snipes and Ving Rhames that's almost kind of completely, like, both an exploitation movie and, like, a a sports movie to a certain degree. Um, But, like, revisiting it, like, I... I always kind of liked this movie and I hadn't watched it in probably like seven or eight years and watching it last night, I was like, this is really fucking good. And frankly is like, just carries all the weird auteurist like ticks that make Walter Hill, Walter Hill. Yeah. I love how um, it's so comic book, but it also pared down when it wants to be. It's just like men fighting prison you know, like it's so it's so elemental. Um, and I remember watching this with my dad when it first hit video and we just rented it on VHS and we just like sat through. He's like, well, that's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And my dad doesn't love a lot of stuff like this. It's just a solid fucking sports movie. It knows it knows where its bread is buttered. And I think I think Snipes is so good in this. Um, it rains, too, but I love Snipes particularly in this one. It has all the crazy editing flourishes, too, that even yeah. something like The Warriors has to where you like, especially when it, it does a couple things. It's almost like a, a, a blender or a, a, a Dairy Queen blizzard of all the best like Walter Hill flavors, because like you have all the character intros with like title cards and shit that reminds me of when they, they introduce the mercenaries in Extreme Prejudice. And then like when they're like leading uh, Ving Rhames like through the prison the first time like they they actually do like the weird like layouts of the cell blocks and stuff and then all the transitions and then you have Peter Falk doing like weird like scratchy character actor monologues it's just you, you get it all but to your point uh, to the kind of the chiseled jaw masculinity of it all I mean he is just doing hard times again. yes absolutely it's about exploitative you know, bare knuckle fighting only here. It's presented in kind of like a black exploitation uh, or a neo black exploitation mold with in the vein kind of, of like 
you've seen penitentiary, right? Like it's yeah. sort of like Walter Hill doing penitentiary. Yeah, definitely. And and that's the one that I re- really regret not revisiting, especially after talking to you and our mutual friend Vice a little bit, because when you guys like kind of put it through that lens, it made me really want to revisit it because um, I always thought it was a decent Walter Hill movie. And, and I guess that's the common consensus. But yeah, the more I'm remembering of it, like because I, I rewatched two, two through four um, very recently and the more I'm remembering of it, it it's so different from these th- the, the next three, but it's also it, it has so much of its own identity. And honestly, I mean, I, I know they say that this about everything, you know, it's the kind of movie we don't get anymore. But it's kind of nuts that it, it is an exploitation movie and it was re- released to theaters. And it's and I just. um, <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, and I think Snipes and uh, Rames are just incredible in it and especially Snipes. It's just always so so cool to see him in just full movie star mode. Um, and it's just something I wish we got to see a lot more of, but yeah, uh, it, it's, it's an odd movie, but I think it's one that's more worthwhile than I think it's reputation, especially among like Walter Hill heads, because I think it's a lot of people kind of place it lower. And I always felt like, even though I didn't love it, I always felt like it was a lot better than its reputation. And, it also lays out the strange, I guess, politics that we're going to have to wrangle with a little bit when going down the, the DTV spinoffs that came from Undisputed because it's sort of like Walter Hill commenting on Tyson a little bit, especially with Reigns' whole backstory being a, a convicted rapist uh, who was like the heavy, heavyweight champion of the world, how he kind of uh, – fought that conviction the entire way and and was thrown into this uh, prison and then more or less exploited for his physical talents the entire time to, to, for gangsters to bet on. (laughs) But like, it's interesting to me because then you get to undisputed two and Michael Jai white is playing the same character. He's playing the Iceman, but like none of that stuff, is in Undisputed too. He's almost like playing a totally different person. It kind of reminds me, it's like Don't Breathe, Don't Breathe 2, or like First Blood to Rambo, First Blood Part 2, where it's like, it's the same character, but we're going to do, he's the hero now, you know? And there's no yeah. ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, he has he has room to grow, but he's not a rapist. You know, he's just kind of, he's just selfish, right? I just wish that he was carrying around, like, maybe like a little black and white, photo of west studi the entire time it's like this was my cellmate he inspired me <laughs> the, the move to make him the hero in the second one's brilliant and i know we'll get to three I, I like that that's kind of the theme of this franchise for a few movies but um but yeah uh it, it's really i can't think of many movies that do that or many series that do that and it's just it's, it's really brilliant in a way like um and, and I'm sure this wasn't on their mind at all, but, but, um, it, it kind of, it, it, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it kind of is a little bit of a commentary on like the whole prison industrial thing. Um, yeah. Like showing you that, you know, maybe, you know, I don't want to get too far into the weeds here and say, say something that you might get me canceled, but like maybe people shouldn't, you know, be put away forever, you know, with the ability to change. And, you know, e- even someone who did something as 
horrible as you know the Iceman did or potentially did, you know whatever. Uh, and it just, it, I don't, I don't think the film's conscious of that. Maybe, maybe it is, but, but I think that's kind of an interesting bent that these movie, that these, the two and three take especially. Um, and and I was really picking up on that this last time. Well, and it's sort of about how like these guys are stuck in the system. And it becomes about how the only way to redeem or physically prove themselves is through exploitative violence and like what they're because even at one point, you know, as we get to know Scott Adkins, uh, Yuri Boyka over and over again, um, he even says at one point, like, this is the gift that God has given me. And like, I, I would be doing the world more or less a disservice if I didn't utilize it. <laughs> and it's an interesting way to, to look at it is that these guys have been so broken down by this system that they've been thrown into that. That's all they, they know how to ch- like value is their ability to crush other human beings with their fists. Well, it's interesting when you compare the first one, right? Where chambers goes to jail because he actually did something right. And they're, there is a little bit more quote unquote realism to the film compared to the other films. Right. You get to part two though. And it's a full on like lock up, like kind of trope of an eighties or nineties action film of he has been, been um, actually set up because Boyka and them want chambers in jail to fight him, to drive up betting prices to bet up to basically drive up the bet, which is super trophy and super outside of reality. But I do agree, you know, in the, in the first one, you get that kind of sense of like who's bad in the in like sports and who's bad in like jail, which is a completely different world. This also plays with that of this kind of cocky guy who's like, I'm a badass and I'm strong and I'm doing I'm doing soda commercials. And this guy inside will literally break your neck, you know. And I also wonder if you could like I, my brain started filling in the gaps between undisputed and undisputed too is that it's almost like because you have at the end of undisputed you know he does win his freedom he gets out he becomes the heavyweight champion of the world again and it has that whole almost like i am spartacus ending where it's like they're watching the broadcast of his fight and he wins and wesley snipes is like basically just in his cell and fisher stevens like raises up and is like we know who the real champ is and they all salute him you're like ah yeah cool walter hill you're corny as fuck when you want to be but like (laughs) but god bless him but then you get to undisputed too and you almost are like okay because we don't have any idea of how much time has elapsed between that one and the sequel and like boxers let's face it like a lot of professional athletes don't have a huge shelf life let's say so like he could be at the tail end of his career selling sodas like in a foreign country and like maybe taking these kind of bum ass fights and then that's how he gets you know set up and roped in is that he's now maybe not an a grade star anymore he actually is a b or c grade star you know the type of star that these movies would have in them and it's like this (laughs) is how these guys could get him in prison to fight for uh, money which also as we go through two and three like the mechanics of the betting and the broadcasting like i i need somebody to explain how this was all set up because it doesn't make a (laughs) ton of sense to me it it's very funny how how unrealistic they become as they go along. So I mentioned this uh, earlier on on Twitter, but it, I think it's really funny how it goes from like pretty realistic villain in the first one to like 
Yuri Boyka is not totally unrealistic, but I mean, he's like a criminal with the heart of gold and like, he, he's, I guess he's a little unrealistic. And then you get to Zoror, who's kind of just like slightly even more unrealistic, just a big, you know, kind of silent guy. And then you get to the fourth one and you just have like Bane from Batman. Yes. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's just very funny how, how unrealistic these get. The fourth one, he's fighting the Balrog. Like he's literally yes. just fighting a Lord <laughs> of the Rings character. Three, the the thing I kept thinking about with Zoror is that he struck me as almost like a Looney Tunes character. It was almost like if Pepe Le Pew could like beat the fuck out of you the entire time. Because <laughs> he's just like watching all the time with like his weird chin strap beard and like one eyebrow raised. And you're like, you're just leaning into this. You're really doing a full, like he should be in like Death of the Nile, not Undisputed 3. <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of giving me like Terry Silver vibes from uh, oh, Kid Three. Oh you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, of just like maniacal, like loves pain and also that kind of lanky physicality as well. I so I it's my first Aurora film, I think. Um, yeah. I don't wait. Think have I've you ever seen, seen Savage Dog, the one no, he and Atkins made before? That's like the period piece in Indochina with like it's like him, Zoror uh keith david's in it and i can't remember there's, What's a, there's the... a few there's a few people in that one yeah. uh here i'm actually pulling it up now because i watched that a while ago but uh it has that amazing knife fight between adkins and zoror at the end where it's like super bloody oh i saw oh, that other... on youtube it was like the best fights of adkins yeah it's, yeah it's really cool like yeah if you haven't seen savage dog dog martin i think you'd like it a lot Hell yeah. it, it's it's really cool it's like uh it's almost like adkins doing a straight-up slasher movie like it gets to a point where he's just basically jason Voorhees like through the jungle what just, yeah, fucking people up and it's really bloody like really really bloody um I'm watching that tonight yeah then but in two with his first take on yuri boyko one of the things i do find funny is that you see adkins start to dig into the accent, like he's clearly trying to figure out like how to deliver all these lines. And he's kind of doing almost like a Boris thing from uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. But like he has that great scene where like, you know, the whole thing is Michael Jai White's thrown in prison and then they have their first fight, but he's drugged. And so uh, Adkins knocks the shit out of him. But then <laughs> Michael Jai White confronts him and like the mess hall is like, Pussy, you if I wasn't drugged, you would have knocked me out and you just see Adkins go, Pussy, pussy, look at your <laughs> fucking face. And I'm like, Oh yeah, you're having a little fun with this man. I watched uh, a quick interview with him and he was talking about he based it on the main villain from Rambo 3. Wait, um, really? Yeah, the main commander guy. Cause he was like, I wanted to do like the most 80s Russian. He's like, he goes, I've watched Rambo 3 a hundred times. And, and real quick while we're talking, I mean, I was mentioning to you earlier, Jacob, that um, they first offered this role to Dolph um, that they uh, when they were setting it up, they're like, because he's basically Drago. It's the same kind of idea. Right. And but then I'm so glad they didn't because I mean, I, I've never said it before in my life that I'm glad Dolph's not in a movie. But like you and I both agreed earlier, Jacob, that like we wouldn't have this. And Dolph is just not as nimble nearly as Adkins is especially not in 2006 when this was made like I know he was younger then obviously but he still was kind of that was like post bridge of dragons and I always kind of look at bridge of dragons as like that that to me is like the uh 
the movie, like the turning point for Dolph where he goes from like kind of a marketable leading man to like DTV leading man. And um, I just think that, yeah, that that is weird because I love Dolph. I, he's one of my favorite actors too. And it's really, I never knew that, that, because that kind of sounds like my dream. I've always wanted like the Drago redemption movie, but definitely not an undisputed two. <laughs> I also wonder if the earlier version of undisputed two was a straight boxing movie, like the first undisputed, because that would make more sense with Dolph in the role. And that maybe it morphed into more of like an MMA film when Adkins signed on and Florentine really leaned into that because like bringing Dolph in to like this DTV sequel about prison boxing kind of makes sense from the story they're telling. Like they are doing Rocky four to one degree or another. It's just in Russian prison. Like it's the midnight express to Walter Hill's penitentiary in a weird way. So Jacob, that's actually, that was the original plan. Um, Oh really? So so it was actually Michael Jai white, who was the more marketable star. And he and Florentine, I believe together, because Florentine has this MMA background and more martial art background. They both were like, let's not do boxing. Let's have him be a boxer who learns how to do MMA. And they kind of, they wrote that idea together. Um, So I think that was, because the original one's boxing too, right? So they're going to stay with the boxing theme. So I think that tracks. Yeah. And I mean, because you even get to have your Rocky Four montage moments. Yes. But let's get to three because three takes the ideas of two um, about this redemptive boxer and making, you know, kind of like the villain of the first film, the hero of the next, like Brandon pointed out. But three just totally leans into that and makes Boyka our antihero. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I think I think so. And and I think by doing that, um, I don't know if that's the full reason why, but I think it's a big reason why I think three. I mean, I don't know if you guys agree, but I think three is unambiguously probably the best one in the series. And no, no doubt, dude. No doubt yeah. at all. I love that movie. It's my first time seeing it this weekend. And oh, my God, like it's now become one of my favorite action movies, like period. I loved it. Oh, yeah. And and I think it's because they lean into because as great as Michael Jai White is and as great as the original cast is, I think there's something so magnetic about Adkins that just like you want to see more of him and just like he really gets to he gets to stretch stretch himself a lot in that one and kind of work those muscles a little bit you know, like acting muscles. I mean, he's always working muscles, but uh, well, and I, I'm glad that you just brought up the acting muscles thing because here's one of the interesting things about Adkins is that I feel like when they ask him to just play like a standard military commando type or mercenary type. And it, especially when he has to use like, you know, a fake kind of American accent, I'm thinking of movies like close range or even day of reckoning uh, to probably a lesser degree, just because that movie's so good. Uh, you can kind of ignore it. He's a lot blander than when he gets to like full on create a character like Yuri Boyka. And I think that's one of the things that, to where he's flexing those muscles a lot more than in in a bunch of his other stuff up until this point is that it's like, he's really digging in. He gets to have the spotlight and he gets to stretch. Like when we first meet Yuri Boyka, he has long hair and is walking with a limp and is like basically mopping shit out of the fucking (laughs) hallway. But it's like stuff like this 
Avengement is, uh, to, for my money, the best Adkins performance to date just because he actually gets to, like, full-on chomp into a role like uh, a Yuri Boyka type. And Accident Man is another one that I think he's really good in, too. I don't know if I love that movie, but, like, I think he's pretty good in it. Plus, didn't he write that one? That was, like, a passion project of his for a long time? I, th- I think he did, yeah. Um, I know for sure he's writing the uh the sequel but i'm pretty right. sure because because i know that this was a passion pro yeah he did write it he wrote it with Stu small and and um yeah that, that was a big passion project for him which and i think that you can see his enthusiasm for certain roles in his performance more than others because he i don't think he's ever bad in anything and you know uh on the action for everyone podcast mike scott always says that if a movie's with him is bad in it he's never the reason why and i think that's true but I, I also think, like you said, he he can veer a little towards the bland side, even in movies I love, like Debt Collector. That, that's more of um, what's his? Why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Louis Mandalore. Yeah, yeah, that's that's much more of Louis Mandalore's movie, and he's kind of like the the thing that you you know your your eyes constantly floating to. So like, I definitely agree that Adkins can be kind of bland here and there, but you can tell when when he's able to like you know either write part of the performance or, or put more of himself into the performance something that he's very enthusiastic about. He gives a much more interesting performance and, and it's often someone who's like a villain or like slightly villainous that I think he really relishes playing. Yeah. I think what's kind of interesting about the Boyka role too, like partly from the second one, but like him and also the writing around him that we were talking earlier about, like I, God gave me this gift. It's this really compelling kind of character beats, you know, it's this like motivation of like, what do I do with this thing? I'm the most complete fighter in the world. And you see that played out over three films. And by the third one, it's kind of like the redemption, the fourth one, I mean, the redemption story. Um, that there's just he actually can, can can build in a believable sense of of like pathos um when he wants to, even though it is kind of a broader, like 80s feeling action film, it still has a real, a realness to it. Yeah, and it's like if you know the first undisputed is penitentiary and then the second one is uh, midnight express this one is almost like the defiant ones in in a weird way or like black mama white mama if you want to bring it <laughs> to like 70s uh, exploitation terms because it does very much become about uh adkins relationship with what's the actor's name it's michael uh, michael shannon jenkins yeah, and like he's really good in it too, and it gives him like a buddy, and that's sort of the first time that we get that out of these movies is that it's almost like Boyka can be friends with people. That's fucking weird. They really play with the tropes well. Like it plays on the '80s or any kind of movie trope, but just like you have children, you know, looking at his tattoos, these moments. It's like he's kind <laughs> of very, but it's like, but I was into it. Like I was watching my friend was in town and. We were both just like, I mean, man, Turbo always going to come back and say the day at the end. We were like talking at the screen. Even though I knew it was going to happen, I was totally on board for the kind of like predictable action beats. When it has the best moment in the entire series, which is where, you know, Marcus Roar kind of corners him in, I believe, is is it the training room? And he he's talking about how... <laughs> 
he was Yuri Boyka is basically washed up and no good anymore. And that he's now a champion of toilets. And yeah. <laughs> Atkins gets to go. If I am champion of toilets, what does that make you when I beat the fucking shit out of you? I'm like, <laughs> mm, yeah, just chef's kiss. Awesome. Perfect line. And and it's funny that you both brought up the, uh, you know, I these gifts from God and everything, because it kind of gives him like a, it always leaves a little bit of room for him to be kind of psychotic <laughs> because someone who believes that clearly is a little unhinged and it's just like not to immediately date this podcast, but rewatching three this morning, all I could think about was Will Smith's speech last night talking about how he has, he has, you know, responsibility from God. And it's kept thinking about like, that is that, that's why you slapped the shit out of uh, Chris rock, I guess. And, um, yeah, it just like it, it it was making me laugh watching three today with that in the back of my mind. Well, I found the irony of watching all four undisputed movies through the 24 hour period when my Twitter feed was just losing their fucking minds about like violence is wrong. Will Smith should have never hit that man. You should never use violence. And then I'll watch the next undisputed sequel. And I'm like. Well, it seems like violence is working pretty well for these guys. Like, it, <laughs> I find the attraction in it. Oh, definitely, yeah. And and again, not to date it too much, but all those takes are just exhausting. I mean, if if a slap is you know worth you know having like national psyche conversations, I mean, that's just embarrassing. <laughs> well, I just think it's hilarious coming from an entire medium that invented the subtweet a a shit talking device that allows you to say something about somebody, but, but without actually directly, like directly confronting them. And exactly. they're the ones telling you whether or not like getting into a fist fight is okay. You're like, you have never punched anybody, sir. So I don't <laughs> need your opinion on this right now. <laughs> I think it, I, I, sorry, Brandon. Oh no, go ahead. Yeah. I was just, I was basically just going to echo what Jacob said. <laughs> Well, I, I was thinking also what I like about all these films is there's not a hint of irony or or it's, it's just there's no tongue in cheek. Um, They're super sincere, super sincere. And three specifically, again, my favorite, I think all of our favorites of the series is so it feels like you could, it was taken from 1985, plucked out and put into 2010. And, and I mean that in the best fucking way. Oh, just, sure. It's just a delight of a movie. Well, and this isn't an original thought or anything, but I mean, like, these are, like, this generation's version of, like, canon movies. They're actually better yes. than canon movies because a lot of those canon movies didn't actually have very good action. That's the the cool thing about these is that <laughs> these are made by people who actually know how to, you know, choreograph and shoot action while we have all of the, the – junky genre trappings that you're pointing out that kind of surround all the action. But like, that's what these are for us. They're the shelf stuffers. They're the things that you used to go to the video store during the eighties and nineties and see just line the action shelves and be like, yeah, sure. I guess I'm going to like pick out China O'Brien three or whatever the <laughs> fuck. <laughs> but like, I, you know, sometimes those movies are super good. These, I think actually have a higher, hit to miss ratio than the canon movies do. Brandon, oh. you brought up um, Bridge of Dragons earlier when we were talking about Dolph, right? Yeah. And one of the things, because I spent not as long as you, but I spent a lot of time in the DTV section of everything Dolph in the late 90s. So like Sweepers, Stormcatcher, Peacekeeper. And I think what's interesting about that era is they kind of 
tried to shoot too big for money they didn't have, right? So the films look cheaper and thinner. Oh, for sure. Versus like these films know the size of movie they can make. And so the action is really great versus those just feel like die hard with a 10th of the budget. You know, these feel like, wow, this is actually, I'm getting my money's worth, if that makes sense. It it definitely does because I I was actually thinking about this a couple weeks ago because um, I've been falling down a PM entertainment rabbit hole. And um, (laughs) yes. And and I and then I was like just kind of felt you know had like a big moment where I fell in love with Gary Daniels and so I was watching Cold Harvest and it's just interesting that in Bridge of Dragons watching early Florentine movies where it does feel like he's overshooting his his budget's ability I guess because those feel like all I could think about watching is and I really like them a lot I think they're both really good movies but I all I could think about is a guy like Albert Pune would have killed those movies where like Florentine I think at the time was still kind of feeling himself out and I think now he's settled into a zone where he's like able to work his his work the budget to his ability in much better ways where these movies look great and not as like junky and I, I hate you know saying that about his earlier movies but they do look a little junky even though I love them Jesse V Johnson is the one I think that does the best with the least amount of resources when he's making these Adkins movies because like they're fast, they're cheap, they have a little bit of extra style, but not too much to where you think you're, they're straining beyond their limitations. Like something like uh, The Debt Collectors, which is one of my favorite Adkins films. Like I love that that movie is just like almost like video game-ish in the way it's set up to where it's like we have to go collect this debt. And now that – like the debt that they're collecting with like the college kids or like that um, – I can't remember the one like little room where they're fighting all the black dudes and everything where it's, where it's almost like we go here and this environment dictates like how this set piece is going to be executed. And then the next environment that they go to, and it's almost like just as much in the scouting and location stuff as them being like, okay, well, if we shot it here, like we could utilize all this around us and the production value is all there. If we shot it here, then we get this production here value here. So he's they're, they're balling within a budget uh, really, really well. Hard target two is also the other one that I think is a great example of what you guys are talking about to where it's almost like, okay, well how do we basically make hard target but with like a fraction of the budget and no Jean-Claude Van Damme, but like Adkins taking up the mantle from Jean-Claude Van Damme just makes so much sense because that seems like his idol, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, and Johnson too, I think, I definitely agree that I think he's the best at stretching the budget because I think he's, he's really smart about location. Like you said, because I don't know if either of you saw his latest movie, Hell Hath No Fury, but the, that movie, oh, it, it's excellent. And it's like kind of nuts what he pulls off with with like no budget in that movie because it's a straight up World War II movie. And oh, wow. It, yeah. And his, lo- I mean, it's not like a, I don't want to like oversell it to where it's like, you know, there's big battle sequences. It's like a small contained movie set during World War II, but there's like really great shootouts. And his location scouting is just like unmatched to me. He, he finds these areas that, really make the movie look more expensive than it is. I'm always impressed by Jesse Johnson and he's a guy that I'm always hoping gets a shot at one of these big 10 poles, but that's always a double edged sword because his voice will probably get lost in the outcome. 
I also love the weird texture of the character actors that show up in these movies, like Ben Cross being oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. in two, and then like Ken Lerner being the, the shady uh, agent behind the scenes and like two. And then who's the guy who plays the main gangster, Gaga? His name's like Mark... Mark Ivanier. Oh. And but like yeah. that whole shot at the end of three where like they do the the prison break basically and like it zooms up to the limo and he like leans out and he's just eating a hamburger and they've like <laughs> built in that weird joke the entire time of him having bad cholesterol and like <laughs> need, needing to eat vegetables and like he's been going vegan to like cut his cholesterol, but it ends with him <laughs> eating a hamburger and he's like, Oh, so good. And I'm like, this is just such weird bits that they threw in, but it's also like they 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 want to make these movies as entertaining as humanly possible, even from like a comedic angle. Kind of reminds me of uh, Robert Forster's hair and alligator. It's just this, <laughs> this like running thing, you know, where it just like, it doesn't, it doesn't add anything, but you said, but texture, you know, I just watched the that movie. for the first time. Cause I got the 4k shout just put out and, and that I, I couldn't believe how they just kept roasting him the whole movie. And then I found out later that that was Robert Forster's idea yep. to, <laughs> That's amazing. Like it's such a smart, like, uh, so, so he that's like a smart decision to give that movie more uh, personality. Not to go too hard on a Robert Forster uh, tangent, but like, have you seen Walking the Edge? Oh my god, I love that movie. That, that was, was awesome. awesome. Yeah, it's so great. Like I had never really heard of it until Fun City Editions put that one out, and like, talk about a movie almost entirely made up of of like weird '80s texture, to where like you have the entire film is about basically like Robert Forster being kind of like a fuckboy cuck and like, <laughs> gaining his masculinity back through like one day of like weird adventures, and you're like, is this Robert? Forster's after hours it kind of is yeah and he he has such like good instincts as an actor because that scene in walking the edge where he shouts go away I'm whacking off I think I <laughs> oh my he, ad-libbed, he ad-libbed that which is like kind of amazing <laughs> and it comes out of nowhere yeah it's just like what is this doing in this movie <laughs> but uh yeah um you mentioned Martin how earnest these movies are and that's one thing that i really love about them because i think i i I talk to liam o'donnell a lot about how you know he's always saying to me it's like a crime isaac florentine isn't a bigger name or like someone who's been given more opportunities and i always wonder if it's like the earnestness or like the sincerity that like holds guys like this back because if you watch like a lot of action movies now i I think there's a difference between a one-liner that adkins gives off that's like this like badass you know kind of jokey thing compared to like someone like ryan reynolds who's just like quip 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 and it's just like there's no sincerity to like the bigger movies and if they feel so cynical in a way like they don't trust their audience to buy into something so goofy where these dtv movies are like they know their audience and they know we'll buy into like these prison tournaments that probably don't exist and stuff like that and it's just like refreshing Brian, I was thinking when you were talking i was like like ryan reynolds like before you said that was like the first person i thought of (laughs) So I 100% agree with you. One, it's sort of, we talked about this with Ty West last week, Martin, is that it's sort of like the difference between homage and recreation Mm. and the fact that like these movies that like Adkins and Jesse B. Johnson and Isaac Florentine and Marcos Roar and this whole like stable of dudes are making, they're not 
winking at you when they're trying to make it. They're not saying like, oh, this is an homage to the the 80s and 90s action movies. They're just making that movie. Like that's like you said, like, you know, two, like three feels like it's plucked out of 1985 and just dropped into the 2000s. Like that's the same way that like House of the Devil felt is that he's not making an homage to those types of movies. He's just making that movie to where like when you watch all this other shit that's like like Black Dynamite. As much as I love Black Dynamite, like I'd much rather watch Penitentiary because Penitentiary is the real thing and has humor and pathos and everything built in. But it's coming from like an actual uh, place of like sincerity to where like Black Dynamite's kind of sending it up and just paying homage to it. Now, that's a straight up parody. I'm trying to think of a better example like recently in like action filmmaking well, where it was just. The one I – I don't know why I thought of this one because it's not really a one-to-one at all but um, the because it, it's more of a sci-fi movie. But The Atom Project, I, I watched that and I just like – it keeps grasping its at, at heart and emotional beats and everything. And it, it never pulls it off because the minute you're, you start to sit with something, someone has to say something. Oh, well, that just happened. And it's like it, – it's just exhausting where you watch something like The Third Undisputed – and it's like they let you sit in those emotional moments, which is crazy to say about a DTV action movie. But I, there's just so much heart to these movies. Well, and it's sort of like the difference between watching Super 8 and watching an actual like Amblin movie. Like there's a great movie that not a good movie, but there's a great example of a movie that's like we're trying to do this thing. We're paying homage to this thing when really you could just go watch the real thing and get all of that, you know, 10 times better. Yeah, it's pastiche right. versus like real authentic, right? Like the real deal. Well, I remember, you know, like you're like you're saying, Brandon, especially with part three. Like I was really surprised by how emotionally involved I was in this movie because I felt similar to when I first. Like, I'm a huge fan of like Rocky three and four, and especially uh, just Apollo Creed and 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 Rocky's relationship in three. Like I'm obsessed with it, and I, every time I watch it, I get totally involved. I know it's cheesy, I know it's hokey. But it's also sincere as hell, right? And I felt similar to that where I was like, man, this Turbo guy's really great. I love their relationship. Obviously, it was very, very similar kind of dynamic of they start as enemies and then become kind of helping each other train. But I was just, I was totally involved and I don't care that it doesn't hit all the, you know, highbrow notes that people might want. Is Was the Asian dude who fights in the kind of Mortal Kombat-esque tournament that's going on in this prison. That's Kasugi's son, right? Isn't that... Uh, that... It, it said Kasugi, but I wasn't sure if there was really... Yeah, well, yeah, they're, that is Kasugi's son then, because like they've been in a few movies together at this point. Yeah, isn't he... Oh, no, Shogasugi's actually in Ninja, right? So yes. yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's he... the one that they're in Ninja 2 together, too. Yeah, okay, yeah. Is it um, Kai Kasugi, I believe? I think that's who it is, yeah. Um, but I I love um, Michael Shannon Jenkins, by the way. You brought up Turbo. And speaking of the earnestness and everything, I don't know if either of you saw Paper Tigers last year. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, and that's another movie that just, like, there is the goofiness, and I think that it embraces it, but it doesn't beat you over the head with it. And, like, that's this that that's what these kind of movies just accomplish so well. And it's it's kind of what I'm gravitating towards a lot lately. And it's like not to go completely in another direction because it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it's why I did a complete 180 on M night over the last year and just really fell in love with his movies, like kind of all over again, because it's really 
enjoying like earnest sincere filmmaking that that also is goofy but it's sincere about the goofiness mid-sized sedan oh yeah it's just perfect (laughs) well let's get to boyka undisputed four um which is the only movie in this mix that isn't really a prison movie i'd say yeah and it's it's the only one that upends the uh the formula it had going where, you know, Marco Zoror doesn't come back and isn't the lead of this one because everyone loved uh, Boyka <laughs> so much. And, and, um, it's weird because this movie, I always thought that four was like the lesser stepchild of like the Boyka movies, but it's actually just as good as the other ones. Like rewatching it this morning, I was like kind of blown away by just how good it is. I mean, it, the fights in it are tremendous, even though it's not Florentine, I forget who directed this one, but, but I'm, it, I really loved it this go around. The guy who did this one has done a bunch of like asylum level, like almost like mockbuster type stuff. But from what I've been told since uh, Florentine's still a producer on this movie is that he may have been ghost directing a good amount of it. Oh, okay. Like that's, I, again, that I don't have that like nailed down hundred percent, but I remember seeing this, at Fantastic Fest and being really excited for it and then being kind of uh, knocked for a loop when Florentine's name wasn't the director. And it still feels very much like an Isaac Florentine movie, like especially like you just pointed out the way the uh, fights are handled. They're filmed almost beat for beat exactly the way that he would handle them in the other films. But like this is almost like a Western with Scott Adkins in a weird way. Like it's very much the lone gunfighter comes to town to like, a you know, take up for a woman's honor and everything. It reminds me a lot of the Peter Fonda movie, the hired hand to where it's all about like redemption and a guy after being absent or doing something horrible to this woman, he comes in and more or less like works his debt off his, his spiritual debt with her. And like Adkins is doing the same thing here, the weirdest part about Boyka Undisputed 4 for me is that it almost feels Jesus-y at certain points. Like it has almost like a Christian film feel because there's so many crosses and talks about God and even that Paul Schrader-esque ending with him in the prison and her appearing. <laughs> like, like she's like straight up just dressed in white and framed like an angel. And I was like, what are we doing here, guys? Like did Adkins find Jesus at some point? No, I thought I thought it was like really cool. Um, th- there's some actually some surprisingly like really good writing in this one where it says, yeah, you, ha- you have this character who's trying to like buy his redemption back, you know, by just giving Bibles and money to the church. And like the the Greek or the uh, Russian Orthodox priest says, doesn't work like that. Like you're living a life of violence. And so I I like the like. Like you said, very much like a Western setup of like it's going to take you can't buy your way back into into the church Um, and that he ends up after killing accidentally killing this guy in the ring. He's like, well, this is my chance for for redemption. Um, And also also, sort of problematic that we just have a Russian guy just fucking dudes up in the Ukraine at the beginning. Like I was just (laughs) sitting there like, oh, shit, boycott (laughs) undisputed for about to get canceled. (laughs) My buddy I was watching with said the same thing. He goes, whoop, here we go. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, 
I, I think with this one as with the others, it's, it's just super tropey in the best ways. It's like it's just kind of like comfort food. You're like, all right, I know where this is going, and I'm and I'm here for it. You know, it doesn't have a bunch of twists and turns that make it a unique take on this kind of story. It just does the story and with awesome scissor kicks from <laughs> Scott Adkins. I actually the the one thing I found pretty kind of interesting about it is and, and this is coming from someone who's always complaining about the lack of sex in movies now is I kind of liked that there's no romantic relationship between you know there, there's never the you know the hacky like you know she slowly falls for him and everything it just it is what it is and it's it's like he's pretty upfront about like I need to pay this debt off to make myself feel better like he kind of flat out says that at one point and, and it, you know he wants to help her but it is the, the movie makes no bones about like Boy goes fucked up over what he did, and he needs to fix it for himself almost more than he needs to fix it for this woman. And I, I kind of really like that. It was like really nice to see because I feel like the Hollywood version of this has them fall in love and everything. And and it's just I'm glad that didn't happen. Yeah, Brandon, in the Hollywood version, she would have a kid to be Jerry Maguire, like no fucking joke, or like Shane, <laughs> right? Where it'd be yeah. like the the question would be like, you can't leave, you found a new family, versus no, like he has to stay because he hasn't finished his task yet. Right. Of freeing her from, from bondage. Well, to your point, Martin, about being so emotionally evolved in three, like the end of this movie for all of its weirdness was like the emotional moment that got me is when he's being lifted up by the cops and dragged towards the van to be taken to jail. And he just looks at me and he goes, will you forgive me? Do you forgive me? And I was like, damn, this is actually really working me over. Like, yeah. I can't, I can't yeah. believe that I'm getting like choked up at undisputed four. It kind of reminds it, me of the conversation in uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, where he's, he's reading the like little paperback book and he's talking to the, the girl actress. <laughs> and it's like, and I always love that scene. That's how I feel about a lot of genre films. It's like, yeah. it doesn't matter what it is or the, the considered quality of the art it can still have an emotional effect on you. Right. And that's how Absolutely. I feel about this. Yeah. Poor easy breezy or easy breezy. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a shame that he goes back to prison at the end of this one though. And it's a shame Adkins is getting older because the, the, the framework of this movie is really cool in that. Like you almost, I would almost love to see like a continuation of the Boyka series where he's almost like a Jack Reacher seventies, Bruce Banner kind of like drifting from town to town, helping somebody out you know, beating the shit out of people and, you know, moving on. I wonder if they got him back in prison at the end of four, because they're like, well, if we make five, we can't make any more of these where Boyka isn't in prison anymore. Like, it's almost like he ends up where he belongs, but this time it's like he's redeemed. So it almost feels like the end of the Boyka story in a weird way is that you, I, I don't see him pit fighting a whole lot anymore, especially no. when his, his new saved angel is coming and like visiting him in the in jail. Yeah, so that's why I'm holding out hope it's never going to happen, but hopefully Undisputed 5, you know, we finally get to see uh, Delore's uh, redemption. <laughs> oh, that yeah. would be cool. Yeah, because you're right, it does feel like a full circle kind of thing for, you know, Yuri Boyko, where he's back in prison, but he's a completely different person. Now, since we've covered the entire series, let me ask you guys this. What's the best Scott Adkins movie, or what's your favorite? We'll use that to kind of close out here. Um, so I'll do best versus favorite. I think best to me, without a doubt, is probably Universal Soldier 4. I think that that's just 
but there's nothing like that movie and I'm not sure there ever will be. And I just, and that that's like, that's the movie that made Himes kind of like a Panos Cosmatos guy to me where if his name's attached to something, I'm just going to be there because whatever it is, is going to be so weird and, and like just blunt and just strange. And so I think it's that that's his best. But my favorite is probably, Oh, that's tough. It's probably Avengement just because I think that that's the most Scott Adkins movie where, you know, you, you get to see him fight. You get to see him be charismatic. You get to see him act. He he's handsome in the beginning. He's he's not handsome by the end. Um, I just yeah. I think that's his. That's my favorite movie of his. I've seen it so many times, and and I I, I always say that. I mean, I don't know, I don't know who I'm talking to when I always say this because no one's in real life talking to me about Scott Adkins. But uh, but um, in 2019, like he absolutely would have. If I voted on anything that mattered, he would have been on my like five for best actor. He's just so good in that movie. And so, yeah, that's my favorite. What about you, Martin? So I'm going to say, um, I think best, I'm going to, I'm going to agree. I think day of reckoning. Cause that's the one that like, like I liked him the first time I saw undisputed too, but like day reckoning also just showed him then the fight scene, the fight scene in the, in the sports store is where he catches the, where he catches the aluminum bat and just crushes the skull. It's just like, it's so fucking sexy. Like you said, it puts hands <laughs> to the top. I I think my new favorite Sky Gaddison's movie is Undisputed 3. Um, wow. It is, it is from this viewing. Um, it's up there. It's, I, this movie, again, this movie felt like a movie I have that I had missed that came out in the 80s and I should have been watching my whole life, even though it's only now 12 years old. I just adore this movie. I'm I'm all about it. I'm going to watch it probably in the next week again. I just was like <laughs> really, really on board. Jacob? I would go with, I think Day of Reckoning is still the best. I mean, you know, to Brandon's point, like Hyams was like referencing like Gaspar Noé movies to, to make that one. And like you never actually expected to see that in a DTV action movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren and, and this new dude, Scott Adkins, who I hadn't heard of up, up until that point. I mean, even like the sporting goods store stuff is awesome, but man, that like psychedelic, like one take shotgun slaughter at oh, the end oh, uh, yeah, is yeah. fucking wild. And like the thing about day of reckoning and, and I wonder if it's the difference between best and favorite here or what, what, separates it from being my favorite is that day of reckoning is actually kind of unpleasant too. Yeah. Like it's, it's a great movie and it's visually like really dynamic and the, the performances are great and it's doing something, but like it's gross too. And like, it's uncomfortable and like the violence isn't, even though like you just called it sexy, like it's, it's pretty gnarly too. It's, like it's, it's, it's not, not, when, not when you want to throw on every couple months, you know, like, like you would undisputed three or Avengement. Right. Yeah. You're not having a whole lot of fun with it over a few beers, let's say. Yeah. Um, but I really like the I don't know if it's my favorite, but I do really, really like the debt collector because to me, that's the closest that we've gotten to like. Adkins doing kind of like a Shane Black buddy comedy and i think lewis mandalore is really fucking good in it like he has that great monologue towards the end and he's really doing like kind of like a joe hallenbeck thing the entire time <laughs> and like i just they just had a real beefy weird 
charisma together. I think the only thing holding that movie back is I, I think Scott Adkins like backstory is so stupid is that he's collecting debts because he wants to keep his karate school open. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, you, you guys didn't really think this one, like they, they, they weren't diving too deep. It was just like, yeah, it's Scott Adkins. You know him. He does karate. Guess what? This character owns a karate school. Do we need any more explanation? Nope. I don't think we do. Nothing. But I, but I like uh, kind of the to what I was bringing up earlier is that I to me it's the most inventive just in terms of how it uses it does the most with the least like it just it uses the environments that it sets up it has great set pieces it has great chemistry and it has that amazing downbeat ending that's completely undone by the debt collector too and like almost like. It almost plays like parody when they bring them back <laughs> is that it's almost like, oh, shit, we didn't die. Crazy. Right. And then they just go on further misadventures. And I like <laughs> Debt Collector, too. I just don't think it's as good as the first one. But like I always laughed about that to where it was almost like obviously Debt Collector did decent enough numbers in like the DTV market that they were like, well, we got to bring them back and do another one and it was like but they die at the end like what the fuck do we do here with this it's it's like i just shrug it off well it's so funny yeah the movie the the, like the balls in the movie to just gloss right over that to the point where it's so obvious they couldn't figure out a reason how how that's possible so when adkins asked mandalore how are you here he says that's a story for another time (laughs) yeah he's just like yeah whatever We'll explain it with the the X, Y, the such and such. We don't know. We'll just write it down, line of dialogue. <laughs> Who gives a shit? We're, they're here for the fights. <laughs> <laughs> I think the cool thing about Adkins is if you look at like his top five, like, I mean, I'm sure that everyone's top five is different, but like, to me, I always kind of go like Day of Reckoning, Undisputed 3, Ninja 2, um, Avengement, and then his latest one shot. I think that those are like pound for pound as good as like any of like the big 80s guys bet best five. And it, and it's just it's kind of cool that like he has that kind of filmography for someone who, you know, hasn't really ever broken out of the zone he's in, unfortunately. It almost feels like he's riding his lane at this point to where he's like maybe made peace with the fact that like he might not ascend to being like movie star level. But he's like, but I'm a movie star in these, you know, like this is where. I'm really shining. So like, and there's no shame in that. He's like, he has, we're literally doing an hour long podcast about Scott Adkins movies. And we're not the only people who are doing this. Like he has a hardcore fan base of people who love and respect his work. And like for a guy like that, I think who grew up, you know, watching nothing but like muscular eighties action flicks and idolizing guys like Jean-Claude Van Damme, like that might be enough. I mean, that's pretty cool. And and I think you, Go ahead, Brandon. Oh, no, I was going to say really quick. That's one thing I wanted to point out a while back is uh, I think you mentioned it, Martin, that he was talking about his love of Rambo three and how he based a villain on that is that you can see I mean, I'm sure a lot of, you know, action stars love action movies, but you can really see and feel his love, you know, when you watch him in interviews like he's he's a guy just like us in a lot of ways. He's a much better looking and well built. But but I mean, he's like he can he can just rattle off one-liners from movies like Showdown in Little Tokyo. And it's just so you, you can hear his love for this stuff. And I think that always comes through. It's like, he's clearly committed to this kind of stuff and it's, it, it just make, it makes these movies a lot better than maybe they should be. And I, you know, to the point also of uncharted, uh, uncharted, uh, undisputed three, um, 
he also feels like he's plucked out of 1985 and, and dropped into today. I feel like if he were born 20, 30 years earlier, it would be a much different story. I don't think that type of star exists anymore for big Hollywood. Like the way that the star system is completely different now, more IP based. Yeah. We have, again, people like Ryan Reynolds, and then we have just these other series that we repeat and repeat and repeat. But I, I don't know if they're where they would even be able to put him. He he belongs in a great way in this microcosm of where people like us can enjoy it. Even though I'd love to see him do a hundred million dollar movie where he's the star. Like that would be fucking awesome. Well, guys, this has been great. And uh Brandon, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. And I hope that this uh, inspires some folks to go seek out some Adkins and just watch some really primo ass kissing, kissing, kicking. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and we're talking about prison movies now, so it got real weird. But anyway, <laughs> this has been Secret Handshake signing off. I'm overweight like a freight truck, build the muscle. You can't escape your fate, we ain't scared to tussle. I put the pressure on your offense, you can't advance. I'm a pro, hit the bench, bro, you had your chance. Do that dance in the end zone and hold my skill. If I don't take it all the way, no one will. Get back, you out of line, and you out of your mind. You out of time, keep searching, brother, how do you find another mind? This mission is this machine, I am is more than mortal. Don't need a key to explore the portal. Just follow me to the next dimension. You get lifted like these plates on benching. Go ahead, put your two cents in. Your words are worthless. Takes a strong like mine to understand.